welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today in this Financial Institutions podcast. This podcast is part of our lender series where we discuss varying topics and trends important for lenders to know in carrying out their responsibilities. In this series, we tap into the breadth of knowledge and services offered through Barry Dunn and chat with individuals across the firm about topics they believe to be important to you. Uh, Today, I'm joined by Seth Weber and Casey Carlson, two members of Barry Dunn's Valuation Services Group. Seth, Casey, welcome to the podcast. Um, So happy to have you join us today. And how about you both start out with a brief introduction? Great. Thanks, David. Thanks for having us. Seth Weber here. Uh, I lead the valuation practice at Barry Dunn. I joined Barry Dunn in 2007, which used to seem like not that long ago. And I've been doing valuations full time um, since then on privately held companies. Before I got to Barry Dunn, I was working um, for a private company based out of Norfolk, Virginia doing some turnaround work and doing some mergers and acquisitions for them. Prior to that job, I worked for Deloitte Consulting in their strategy and operations group um, and went to business school down in Virginia, had been a mechanical engineer for Cummins Engine Company before that. Um, So my first career was in engineering. So it's like valuation has been great because it's allowed me to pull together this operations background, this consulting background, this corporate finance background, and put it all to use for our clients here at the firm. So that that's a little background on me. And with that, I'll throw it over to Casey. Awesome. Thank you, Seth. My name is Casey Carlson. I'm a manager here in the valuation practice group. I've been at Barry Dunn for four years. Before that, I was at two other firms. So eight years full-time work in valuations, loving every day of it. I've done small business valuation. That's where I started out my career. I enjoyed that. And then I went to uh, large business valuation. So this is a bit of a Goldilocks story. Went too small, too big, and then landed right in the middle. So very done. Uh, Enjoy it here. We work with companies of quite a different size range, but generally they fall in the middle, um, mid-cap size companies. It's a lot of fun. Um, I've also had experience. I started two businesses back in the day. That's how I I first got into businesses and valuation and um, that world. Originally, I started out going to school for uh, veterinary medicine. So a bit of a bit of a switch there. And uh, I think I found I think I found where it's just right for me. Nice, nice. I I love that. I didn't know that about either of you, the engineering background, the, the vet medicine background. So so good to know. Um, so before we dive into our, our topics of discussion today, how about you provide our listeners just a brief overview of the valuation services group? So what are some common services you perform? What industries you most commonly work with? And uh, most importantly, why does your work matter to lenders? That's a great question, Dave. And I guess to start, uh, in terms of like, what do we see on the valuation services group? Well, first, I think it's important to understand that we're working with privately held businesses. And so we're spending a lot of time working with the owners of those businesses, um, frankly, to figure out what those businesses are worth. So it could be that they're looking to buy some additional businesses. Look, could be that they're looking to sell. Could be that it's a transition plan 
So either internal brings management members in um, or family members, could be an external sale. About a quarter of what we do are uh, ESOPs, employee stock ownership plans. Um, and um, really kind of across the, the gamut. Um, recently, and Casey will speak a little bit to this, but we've been doing a lot more in the mergers and acquisition space. So both working with clients that are um, having us help evaluate what an opportunity or pursuit might be worth, and also working with clients who are selling their companies and need some assistance um, on the due diligence side. Yep, that's right. Uh, M&A is certainly something that we enjoy doing. So that's something that we get to talk with lenders quite a bit. And when David brought up this topic of uh, uh, talking with lenders, that's what really piqued my interest here, because that's something we're looking at the same factors here. So lenders, they're interested in can this debt actually be repaid or not? And so they have to look at what are what are cash flow expectations like going forward? That's the same thing that we're looking at when we value a business. So we're looking at what's the future of this company look like in terms of cash flow and what's the risk associated with getting that cash. So because those are aligned, I think that a lot of what we look at will be of importance and of interest to lenders as well. Yeah, yeah, that that's a great point, Casey. And you know, you've thrown around uh, cash flow a few times already. So I guess we can dive into that a little more. Um, what factors do you look at to estimate a company's future cash flow? Can you give some some examples? Sure. Yeah. So first of all, we're going to look at their projections that they put together. So taking a look at what does management think that's that their company is going to do going forward. And then the other factor to that at a high level, and we can dig into both of these topics as well. But uh, the other factor about that is the risk of achieving those projections. So two two things there. What do the projections look like going forward and what's the risk of achieving those projections? And, and one of the things we do when we're looking at that in particular, David, is we love to look at where a company has been. Not that we think that where the company has been is, is necessarily where they're stuck or you know, that's the best indication of value. But we like to use that to draw a linkage between like what has happened historically and where management of the company says they're going. Because if we can draw a really strong link between those two trends, it means that there's less risk there. If there's not a great story or a narrative or data to back that up, that will increase our perception of the risk, um, which will conversely decrease the, the value of a company. Sure, sure. Um, so so going back to, to Casey, a point you made, you know, you mentioned projections what do you do if a client doesn't have any product projections any any you know kind of best practices there yeah that's a great question that's something that we jump into probably what would you say seth half of the time two-thirds of the time i i think that's about right yeah and so a lot of our clients don't have projections so we have to work with them on that um, I think it's maybe the main conservatism coming out that no one wants to speculate too much. But one way or another, uh, that's a good chance for us to to work with them to prepare those because ultimately management does have insight into what the future of their company is. 
sometimes we just have to tease that out in order for them to actually put put pen to paper on those ideas. What would you say about that, Seth? I think that's right, Casey. And what what we see, and you know, Casey's seen this a lot, is there yeah you know, there are other valuation groups out there that um, you know if the management comes and says, hey, we don't really do a forecast. Yeah, sometimes the inclination is to throw our hands up and say, well, we'll just go with like a capitalization of earnings method. Well, so two things to keep in mind. One, that capitalization of earnings is still a forecast. It's just saying that we're expecting everything's going to look pretty much exactly the same in the future as it does now with some kind of growth rate. The other is by not forecasting, you know, businesses are missing out on really good information. If they sit down and do a forecast, they could think about like, well, are we going to run into capacity constraints? Uh, are, are we going to run into labor constraints? Are we going to run into supply chain difficulties? So they can think about that. The other thing they can start to do is start thinking about what are all those claims on cash flows that they have. So if if they're coming up on um, having to fund a major capital expansion and you know having some other events going on, do they do they have enough cash flow to handle all those, or do they have to think through the spacing or timing of some of those projects? So it's 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 one of the things that if a client doesn't have projections, we do spend a lot of time trying to get them to to think about starting in on that process. And we actually um, recently wrote a book, the a field guide to business valuations. And we have a whole chapter that just talks about forecasting from a, from a practical guide and practical perspective because it's one of these items where you're never going to get it exactly right because it's like a weather forecast. And the further out we go, the less precise it's going to be, but it doesn't mean that it's not accurate. And so, And it's also a practice. So the more forecasting you do, Next year, you can come back and take a look at the prior year forecast, what worked, what didn't, why, what was missed, and you can use all that information to improve your process. I would also add as just one last comment on this topic. Yeah, yeah. I had mentioned that we a lot of our clients don't have forecasts. I'm going to walk that back. I would say that every client forecasts, it's just a matter of whether these are formal or not. Because let's think about it from the perspective of an excavation company. They just sunk $100,000 into new equipment. Why? Because they think that there's going to be work in the future to use that. So that is a forecast. Every business owner is forecasting. They're just not formally documenting it. So we like to work with them, hold their hand, and formally document this, this horse sense that they have. I, I love that point, Casey. Yeah, I mean, you, you figure every... Every business has a strategy, right? That they're that they're honing in on and working on, and, and thus they're they're forecasting to some extent. But as you mentioned, exactly. it's just the level of uh, how formalized it is may not quite be there, or or um, what you guys would typically see in a forecast. So exactly. yeah, great yep. great point. So Seth, I wanna I wanna go back to something you mentioned earlier um, about the risk of achieving projections. And and you know I'm hoping you can dive into that a little bit more. So how how do you how do you assess the risk of achieving you know clients' projections that they've put together? 
So David, great question. There are a number of things we can look at. One of the things I, I did mention earlier that about a quarter of the valuations we do are for ESOPs. And so the thing that makes it fortunate for us with respect to forecasting is we've got this cycle of talking to these companies year after year. And in that case, we literally lay out for them, like, here's what your actual results have been over the past five years, and here's what successive forecasts have looked like. So we can see if they're generally um, ahead of forecast, behind forecast, if maybe they're bouncing around, but the trend line you know, is accurate. And so in, in those situations, Sometimes we're fortunate enough to have like actual data and we can see like, yeah, are you getting better at forecasting or about the same? Um, in other cases, what we're doing is we're looking at, and Casey's phenomenal at this, you know, digging out some of the industry research and looking at what those trend lines are and then um, putting together some visuals to walk companies through to say, hey, you, you all are talking about, you know, uh, three, three and a half percent revenue growth. Historically, you've been growing at five or six percent. The industry is still growing at five percent. Is that just conservatism? So in that case, we wouldn't see a lot of additional risk to not achieving that forecast. Flip side could be like, oh, you know, all the research we're reading says that the industry is headed for some pretty big headwinds and your forecast has you doubling um, cash flow over the next two years. Like what's the, you know, what's going to be different about how the company's arranged going forward that's going to help you achieve those levels of success? So that's a great point, especially for people working with lending, because there's a relationship there that you have. So you can draw back what have, what has this customer looked like historically? So if there's someone that tends to be spot on and accurate in what they do, I think that you can really that's a very bankable forecast that they put together. Whereas by comparison, if there's someone that blows smoke, if they like to maybe stretch things or they're overly optimistic, maybe that's something to take into consideration. Yeah, that, that's a great point. You know, I think about like um, rental properties, a lot of lenders will get rent rolls and, you know, just kind of making sure that the, the numbers that are being produced, because that's an example of a projection um, to some extent, um, that the numbers are being produced are, are reasonable, I guess, you know, and maybe not a little too optimistic. Yep, that's exactly right. And there's certainly, there's a science to it, and there's an art, and there's a bit of a balance. I think Seth's engineering background is something that's come into play here in terms of bringing the data analytics to this especially with the relationships that Seth has with a lot of his customers. We can see year over year what's the difference in the forecast that they put together. But it's certainly there's the science part and there's definitely the art to it as well. Yeah, yeah. So I want to shift gears a little bit. You know, this is a, a great discussion on cash flow projections. I guess taking a step back a little bit, you know, how, how do you assess a company's financial risk profile? So that's a great question, David. And and I want to start off by saying we're we're looking at this from a valuation of the business perspective, and certainly a lot of the your listeners on this podcast uh, might be involved in underwriting and managing risk for the bank, and so they have their own processes and procedures. But at the end of the day, there's probably a lot of overlap 
to what we're looking at. So we, um, to look at a company's financial profile, one of the things we do is start with some benchmarking and looking at it compared to the industry. And in, at a really high level, we're looking at kind of three different um, groups of metrics. The first group of metrics is really about liquidity, like how strong is the balance sheet? Uh, if they were to run into a, a, a bump in the road, like, you know, how much cash, how much current assets do they have on hand to weather that storm. Um, the second one is around leverage. And again, we'll leave that to the bankers to sort out. Um, I would say, generally speaking, that uh, our clients tend to be under leveraged. Uh, they, they tend not to have as much debt on board as they could. Um, and I'm, of course, leaving real estate developers in a totally separate category there. Um, then we look at operational ratios. And so one of the things that um, when we get benchmark data, we can see gross profit over time and we can see operating profit over time. We tend to focus a little bit more on the operating profit because depending on the size and sophistication of the company, they may not be spending a lot of time trying to segregate their direct and indirect costs. But either way, so if it's a if it's where it lands on the income statement, it's either being spent in cost of services or cost of goods or it's being spent in overhead. But by the time we get to operating profit, that money's been spent. So operating profit for us has been a much more stable metric. And then we'll look at cash cycle. We'll look at, you know, we'll look at some mixed metrics, but but that's really all on the benchmarking side. The other thing, Casey, did you want to speak a little bit to some of the other due diligence that we're doing in terms of like, you know, customer, customer profile contracts, that type of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that's probably my second favorite thing to dig into. Uh, first favorite is, of course, forecasting itself. Uh, second favorite would be some of those operational risk factors. So that requires a lot more critical thinking to it. Uh, not that there's not critical thinking in the financial analysis part, but this the operational risk profile varies so much customer to customer, industry to industry. So some of the things that we look at, we look at supplier risk. So if you only have one supplier and you just offended that supplier, that's a very risky position to be in because they can pull away from you and you will be left high and dry. Similarly, customer concentration. And then what does your employee base look like? If you're, everyone's about to retire, um, that, that could be a problem five years down the road. And similarly, management bench strength. So if you have a key manager, who's coming in underneath that person? And uh, there's almost an infinite list that we could go down, um, 20 plus factors, I would say. But but those are some of the ones that kind of give a bit of a flavor of some of the factors that we're looking at. Sure. And, and all things I would suspect lenders are, are thinking about, too, you know, succession planning for smaller businesses and customer concentrations, supply chain. That's certainly a hot topic right now with the supply chain issues, you know, worldwide, really. So. Those are great points. Yep. And certainly a kind of a value add item in terms of working as a lender with your client. I bet you'd really surprise them if you pulled out some of those operational risk factors and started talking with them about, hey, who's your who's who's coming up in the ranks that 
that uh, that's going to replace you someday. How's that looking? So I'd, I'd keep those in mind at all times. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Seth and Casey. This was this was a great discussion. And before we conclude, uh, any final thoughts for our listeners you guys want to share? Um, one thing we didn't cover that I just want to hit on briefly is the importance of actually seeing the operations, you know, in person and sitting down face to face and talking with people. And I, again, I know on the lending side, you know, a lot of your banks really do emphasize that going out and meeting with with people and sitting down and, and having conversations face to face. But there's just something you can tell by walking through an operation and talking to other people outside of management that, that you can't capture as well um, if you're not there in person. And so it's something we emphasize, uh, had a conversation recently with a company that had been through an ESOP transaction and, and they never actually met their valuation folks face to face. And um, so for me, and I, it, maybe it's my engineering background, but it's like, I really like to you know get out there and kind of lay eyes on an operation and see what's going on for ourselves. Yep. I've always, so working with lenders is something that I've always enjoyed. It always feels like uh, a brother in arms, so to speak. We're working with the same crowd. We're looking at the same factors. So uh, it was a pleasure being on the podcast. Always love talking with this crowd. And uh, one last plug for our evaluation handbook. I would encourage you guys to read that. There's a chapter specifically about this topic, and I think you'll find the rest of the content to be useful as well. Yeah, th thank you both. And, and Casey, thanks for bringing up the valuation handbook again. Um, congrats to you both. You know, I, that's that's a, an impressive achievement. So um, we'll certainly provide a link to that handbook in the podcast description so our listeners can readily access it. Um, and, and thanks so much to our listeners for tuning in today. I, I know I learned a lot, so I, I hope you did as well. And just a reminder, this podcast is part of our lender series where we discuss varying topics and trends important for lenders to know in carrying out their responsibilities and uh, we hope you'll tune in for the next episode thank you